Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Wow. Thank you, Lord. I'll tell you what, that was a good, that was a good response. I really I appreciate that response. But I would like to do a response to the Lord himself. So would you all stand and let's, let's thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 20 baptisms, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right. This is so much better than having church, isn't it? I told, for those of you who don't know, I told Vine Lifers years ago, we're not going to... We're going to try and not have church. We're going to try and be the church. Okay. um, Didn't Luke do a great job last week? Wow. Wow, wow. I tell you, Luke and Jason have blessed me so much in bringing the word. And uh, I'm just grateful for what God is doing in our midst. Um, This morning, I'm going to... The Lord surprised me a little bit here in that the last couple of times he's had me doing a little more teaching. And, uh, you know, my bent more is toward exhortation. I like to do that, encourage, and so forth. But hopefully this will be encouraging, <laughs> even though it's a little more oriented toward a lot of Scripture. So that means we're going to have to track uh, Scripture here. And for note-takers, this is this is the note-taker's sermon right here. So... If that's who you are, pen and paper. I want to talk about a healthy heart, and we're gonna. This is gonna be a two-part series. So this is the really the introduction, um, setting up next week, and I'm trusting the Lord's gonna take us into some wonderful ministry next week in terms of healing our heart. And uh, the Lord said in Luke four when he talked about um, what he was here for. He went to the book of Isaiah, and he opened the book. And he was in his hometown, and he was announcing to them, this is what I'm here for. That's Luke 4, 18 and 19. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden. And that is referring to Isaiah. Isaiah refers it to brokenhearted. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And that's how Jesus summed up Isaiah 61. And we've said Isaiah 61 is really the DNA of our church. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted and sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And that's what I want to focus on here in this teaching this morning is about how we can be healed of a broken heart. Now, some of us are aware that we have broken hearts, and some of us are not so aware of what's in our hearts. The Holy Spirit has to show us what's in our heart. <laughs> and sometimes when he does, we're surprised what's in our heart. Uh, was, Joyce and I were driving in this morning. As we were driving, uh, we went by some ball fields, and so I said to her, <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to give you a little window into my dark soul here. Uh, <clears throat> you won't tell anybody. Will you? You just keep it right here. We're friends, right? I said to her, well, you know, whenever that last 
sermon comes, whenever that, that last moment comes when I know I'm done, I, I, there's a few things I want to say. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, you want to say it and then you want to leave town and let somebody else clean up the mess, right? Well, one of those things I said, you know, I see him getting ready to play ball and I said to her, you know, that, uh, that just shows the drift of our culture, you know, because now we're playing ball on Sunday and, you know, you know, I, I made a comment about, you know, you know, be nice if they were in church instead of out there playing ball. And so I got, I started going down that road. You know what road I was going down, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, pretty soon I, as I've been working on this message, like the Holy Spirit prompted me, said, what's in your, what are you looking at right now? And, oh, I caught myself and I said, and Joyce, Joyce was just catching on to that whole idea is, you know, you're going down a different road, you know, it's not, you're not keeping your heart on the Lord. And I just quickly caught it and I said, oh, I'm not fixing my eyes on Jesus, am I? You know, that's where my, and I realized that was what was in my heart. What was in my heart was this, this uh, agitation about what's happening in our culture and that people are not really making a priority of worship and pursuing the Lord, that they're letting the culture, you know, whatever it is, uh, get in the way to take the priority of worshiping the Lord. You know what I'm saying, right? And so I just, you know, I recognize, hey, this is in my heart. I've got to deal with this. That I'm not really looking to the Lord right now. This is what's in my heart. So sometimes we don't know what's in our heart. And the question I'm going to ask you when I get done with this is, what's in your heart? That the Lord will begin to work this week and show you what's in your heart. And the purpose of showing you what's in your heart is to not make you feel more pain or to shame you or condemn you. The purpose of showing you what's in your heart is so you can have it healed. And you can... Now, this is important because in Isaiah 61, it says that when the captives are set free and freedom comes to prisoners, verse 4, then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities and desolations of many generations. You see, it's so important that our hearts are healthy because it's, it's the heart of healthy sons and daughters that reflect his love and healing to other people. And so to communicate to the Father and then to be able to rebuild, raise up, repair, and help those who are desolated, our hearts need to be healthy. So that's why we've got to, we've got to be willing to go into these places and let him show us what's in our hearts so it can be healed. Now I'll tell you, when the Spirit of the Lord shows up, there are people who don't understand this, what God's trying to do. They don't understand he's trying to heal them. All they know is they feel uncomfortable, they feel pain, they feel challenged, and they say, I'm out of here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable there in that Bible study or that church or that place or so forth. They don't understand that when the Lord first shows up, you can be more uncomfortable in that moment than before he showed up. <laughs> Isaiah said, woe is me. I saw the Lord. Are you tracking me? You understand what I'm saying is he, he wants to he'll open up stuff that's not really fun to revisit, but he's doing that so he can heal you. That's, that's, that's how he works. And if we understand that, then 
then we can live from this place. We can live from a better place. It's called heaven. Heaven can come to us here on earth, and we can live in this better place with him. That's what he's, by the way, do you know that's what he's trying to do to all of us right now? Is introduce us to a better place. It's called where he abides. It's called where his presence is. I'm not teaching, am I? I'm off on something else. Okay, Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart. doesn't say watch over your mind. It says watch over your heart. Even your words are a result of what's in your heart. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. So when you want life flowing out of you, you have to backtrack to what's in your heart. How's things going in your heart? The heart is the soul, the mind, will, and emotions, and the spirit is the inner person. Now, a healthy heart is filled with faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 tells us this, that these three abide, faith, hope, and love. And let me give you some definitions of faith, hope, and love, some working definitions. Here's the working definition of faith. Assurance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Faith can see into the realm of the unseen and bring the unseen into the realm of the seen. That's what faith does. Faith has the ability to see that which cannot be seen with a natural eye. And by faith, then we pull the realm of eternity, the spiritual realm, into the natural realm. Hope is, I love this definition of hope. I grew up in the church all my life, never knowing what the, what the real definition of hope was. But this is a good definition. Hope is confident expectation for good. Confident expectation for good. Love. I, want, I searched around to come up with a working definition of love that goes beyond 1 Corinthians 13. And this is... What I did is I borrowed R.A. Torrey's definition from what the Bible teaches, and he defines love as a desire for and delight in the welfare of the one loved. Let me say it again. Love is a desire for and delight in the welfare of the one loved. A broken heart is filled with negativity. But a healthy heart is filled with faith, hope, and love. So when you think about a situation, a person, a a need, when you think about things in your life, as you think about them and as as they come to you, what is your response? Is it filled with faith? Is it filled with hope? A confident expectation for good? Is it filled with love or is it filled with negativity, criticism, complaining, strife, gossip, uh, condemnation, shame, anger, fear, dejection, rejection? I I don't need to go on with that list, right? You, You get that list, right? We're all familiar with negativity, right? 
Now you got if you got to help me. If I'm going to teach, you got to help me. <laughs> that was good. Okay. Uh, so, so let's let's see a story. I'm going to just look at it, part of a story that illustrates what I'm talking about. First Samuel one, one through eight, and this is the story of Hannah who could not have children, and her. And we're going to see her brokenheartedness. Now there was a certain man, and he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the other. P-E-N-I-N-N-A-H. And P-E-N-I-N-N-A-H had children. But Hannah had no children. Now, this man would go up from this city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And when the day came that Elkanah, her husband, sacrificed, he would give portions to P-E-N-I-N-N-A-H, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give, what? Double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb, which culturally was a shame. That's just That was just the worst curse that could happen to a woman in that culture, is to not be able to bear children. Her rival, the other wife, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her. And when you look up the original words here on provoke, is anger, angry, grief, indignation, provocation, provoking, spite, and wrath. So she was just trying to make her life miserable. You have no children. You have no children. Just continually. And, and the response that Hannah had irritating her is the original word means to be violently agitated, figuratively to irritate with anger, to make to fret, roar, trouble. Because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year. Don't you just love it when it happens year after year? The test is year after year. When are things going to change? When's it going to change? Year after year. That's when discouragement, despair, hopelessness, that's, you know, a deferred hope makes the heart, what? Sick. Sick. So, Year after year, I mean, since and some of you I know there are places in your life, year after year, it has not changed. The Lord gives us those things. Those are places of testing. Those are places where He's trying to work things out in us that are deeper than we can imagine. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Amen. I hate the year after year. (laughs) But my spirit man rejoices. And it happened year after year as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. She would provoke her. The other wife would provoke her. So she what? Wept and would not eat. Now I'm telling you, that is brokenheartedness right there. I can't think of a time that I've wept and been so brokenhearted that I couldn't eat. Well, maybe there's been one or two, but pretty much I can eat. 
I think there have been times, you know, when we lost the baby, honey, in the Azores. I think I wasn't eating too well then. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, verse 8, Why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? (laughs) This would be great material for a married seminar right here. Husbands, don't talk to your wife's mind. Talk to her heart. So Elkanah was talking to her mind, not to her heart. He said, why is your heart sad or grieved? The original word is spoiled, literally breaking to pieces, brokenhearted, figuratively, to make good for nothing. That's the condition of her heart. Her heart was sad, good for nothing. See, he speaks to her head, not to her heart. But in her heart, she's shamed, rejected, violently troubled because she felt worthless for not having a child. She could identify with the words of Psalm 920. Reproach has broken my heart, and I'm sick. And I looked for sympathy, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. John Sanford, years ago, I read a book where he wrote, The heart could care one whit for the truth. It doesn't care. It feels. And when it hurts, it it needs to be spoken to in a language that can heal it. But the language of the rational thought doesn't heal it. Go ahead and just, when you're hurting over something, just tell your heart, stop hurting. Don't hurt anymore. Don't feel rejected anymore. Don't feel unloved anymore. It, it works great, doesn't it? You know, your, your heart just goes, get yeah, right. It's just like when I go to Rwanda, I have to get a translator because I speak the wrong language. I speak English. Or call it, I, you know, I, I don't speak Kirawan. So it's the same thing. The language that, we, that God uses to speak is to our heart, and he speaks to our heart first. Uh, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own what? Understanding. So he speaks to the heart first. Let me give you a couple verses that will just back that up. Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you may know. Acts 16.13. A certain woman named Lydia from the city of T-H-Y-A-T-I-R-A. A seller of purple fabrics. A worshiper of God was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. See, her heart had to be opened first before she could receive revelation and hear God. Have I made my case? Can I move on? All right. Psalm 51, 17, see, the Father especially speaks to the brokenhearted. Psalm 51, 17 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. We can rejoice today that God does not despise our brokenheartedness. Instead, he works to heal our brokenheartedness. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. That's why Jesus is so wonderful. That's why the anointing on Jesus is so marvelous. That's why he says, I came to bind up your broken heart and set you free. That's why Jesus means so much to all of us and why we bless his name for what he has done. I have a word right here. The Lord prompted me earlier at this point to tell you, a bruised reed he will not break. And some of you are sitting here today feeling like a bruised reed. And the word of the Lord to you is Jesus himself will make sure that you're not broken. Instead of breaking that reed off and saying you're done, you're finished, he comes to restore and bring you to life. That's the word to you this morning. You will come to life in Jesus' name. You will be healed. Even those things year after year that you have dealt with and that you've been carrying year after year, he will come and proclaim his favor to you. Now, I've got to hurry because I've got a video to show you. Five ways our Heavenly Father speaks to our heart. Okay, uh, First is the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying these are the only five ways, but these are five prominent ways. He speaks by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Acts 13.2. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, prompting of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul. John 7, 38, 8, 39, he who believes in me, this is Jesus speaking, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That's referring to the way the Holy Spirit works through us. He dwells within us. Upon salvation, he dwells upon us with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then he wants to flow out of us. And so there's a flow of the Spirit, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important to fix your eyes on Jesus and follow the flow of the Holy Spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit leading you? Where's the Holy, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying to you? So that's a language of the heart. The Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. And you follow that flow. Second way, and this is the one that uh, I just love uh, to talk to you about because it's been way overlooked in the Protestant evangelical history. And I'm talking about for many history. The second way he talks to you, the language of the heart, is pictures. Acts 2.17, and it shall be in the last days, says the Lord, it's uh, quoting the Old Testament in Joel, that I will pour Forth my spirit upon mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and old men dream dreams. A picture's worth 
Dreams are referred to in the Bible about 50 times and visions about 34 times. The Bible is full of imagery, parables, dreams, and visions. Look at this, Psalm 23. It's a favorite one. But as I was thinking about this in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. What is that? That's a picture. Do you picture a shepherd? He makes me lie down in green pastures. Is that not a picture? He leads me beside quiet waters. Is that not a picture? That's one of the reasons that psalm is, and you read the rest of that psalm, and is full of pictures. He sets a table before me in the presence of my enemy. He makes pictures. Using pictures in our imagination does not belong to the New Agers. Nothing belongs to the New Agers. Everything belongs to us in Christ Jesus. So for all those who are concerned about New Agey stuff, you can go talk to Pastor Bob and he'll help you out with that. You don't have to talk to me. It's not a new age. It's biblical from the very beginning. When, when God talked to Abraham, he gave him pictures of his future. So, then I just, why is this happening? It's because for the past 500 or so years, the Protestants broke, when they broke with the Catholic Church, it was determined that pictures were graven images and therefore idolatry. And so we threw the baby out with the bathwater. And we, we just said, we have nothing to do with pictures. Now God is bringing pictures back into our, into our faith because the Holy Spirit speaks in pictures. If I, you can, I can prove my point quickly. As I've gotten into this, I realized, as I started becoming aware of what's going on, I, was real, I realized that I have negative pictures. Okay, so, you know, one of my children are late when they should be home at a certain time or my wife's not home at a certain time. What happens? Do you get a positive picture or a negative picture? You get a negative picture. Oh, well, they're not in an accident. Oh, yeah. so you can think about all the negative stuff, you know, when thing, something didn't happen, when you expect it to happen. You can apply that to, you know, uh, getting a job or a relationship or anything. You just look at, just this is what I'm asking. This week, you just become aware of the pictures that you have in your heart. And, the, and you'll find that there's quickly, you can have negative pictures. The challenge is what we're doing in this series is to, is to turn those negative pictures into God-inspired, Holy Spirit-filled faith, hope, and love in every one of those pictures. So just be aware. Just be aware of the pictures that are in your mind. Because God has a good picture and plan, plan for you. That's what he means when he says, I have plans for good. He wants those pictures that you deal with that are negative about. I don't need, I've made that point. Okay, number three. I got a video to show. Genesis 6 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. What is that? Emotion. Psalm 13, 2, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? What's that? 
Psalm 16, 9, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. What's that? To heal the heart, we will have to work with emotions. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. It starts right out. Love, joy. What are those? Emotions. Emotions. So, you know, the Western mindset is rationalism, but the kingdom of God is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He wants us to have positive emotions. We're taught emotions are bad or emotions follow or emotions are, you know, uh, to don't mean too much or shouldn't mean too much. Well, it does mean a lot. When you look at Hannah, her emotions were grieved and sad. And God wanted to change her picture, which we're going to talk about next week. He did change the picture. Okay, the fourth way he speaks to our heart is meditation. Psalm 77, 6. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart. My spirit ponders. Luke 2, 19. Mary treasured up all these things when she was told that she'd become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, pondering them in her heart. A personal example I want to give to you is a time uh, when I was in, we as a family lived in Texas, and, and um, I knew the Lord was going to move us, but I had no money. I had no means to do so. And, of course, I had a number of little mouths to feed. And, you know, it becomes an anxious time. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And you can all identify with those times. I, I, you know, how's this going to work out? And it leads to a lot of anxiety. And I remember sitting here, it was this Bible, and I was flipping through the Bible praying. It's like, you know, great man of faith. Oh, God, oh, God, give me something, give me something. You've been there, right? And so I, I landed on, on um, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? It's uh, rivers of living water flowing right there. <laughs> Thank you, Pam. What, what, uh, what I did with that scripture is I meditated on that scripture because I memorized it, and I would say it over and over and over and over. Every anxiety attack would come to me, I'd go back to the scripture. Every time anxiousness would come to me, I'd go back to that scripture. I'd quote that scripture. I'd speak that scripture, I would sing that scripture, I'd praise that scripture. I was What I was doing is I was meditating at that moment. That's the fourth way. And the fifth way and the last way that God speaks to our heart is through music and the arts. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your head. Is that what it says? Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. Music does many things. It affects us emotionally, physically. I did a little research. I'm not going to take the time on this, but it does... It affects our hormones. It affects strengthening of our memory. You know, it enhances our romantic life. It, uh, it, it touches our sense of well-being and safety. Oh, just look it up. 
you can Google as well as I, and you just see the effects of music and the power of music. When we use music to worship the Lord, we're using the language of the heart to heal the heart. And so I'm just asking this morning, do you need a heart healing? Incorporate worship and music in your daily life. Maybe you say, I'm not a singer. That's where the scripture says, make a joyful noise. So, you know, you can be in the car by yourself or walking by yourself. It doesn't matter what other people think. It's just something you can offer to the Lord. It's a language of the heart. You can make up your own songs. Just go ahead and make them up and sing to the Lord. It's a language of the heart that brings healing and brings his presence. I saw a video this week that illustrates this so well that before we close the service, I just want you to see it. So let's take a look at it right now. It shows you the power of music and the language of the heart. I have one resident that barely opened her eyes. She didn't respond. As much as I tried, I knew her for two years. No matter what I tried, massage wouldn't work, nothing worked. But when we got introduced to the iPods and the family told me the things that she liked, it was amazing once we put the iPod on her. She started shaking her feet. She started moving her, her head. Her son was just amazed. Okay, can we stop? Because now I'm getting OR. <laughs> I'm seeing her all over again. How long has he been in the nursing home? Uh, approximately 10 years. He was having seizures, and my mother couldn't handle him at home. Of course, it affected me greatly because he was always, you know, fun loving, singing, you know, every occasion he would come out with a song, no matter where he was. I remember as a child, he used to walk us down the street, me and my brother, and he would stop and do singing in the rain. He would have us jumping and swinging around poles. He was, you know, he was good. He was always into music, you know, always loved singing, dancing. His name is Henry Drea. Uh-huh. And I'm looking more or less for religious music for him. Okay. Because he enjoys music and he always calls in the Bible. So I'd rather have that for him. We first see Henry inert, maybe depressed, unresponsive, and almost unalive. Henry. Yeah. Henry. Yes, yeah, sir. So. I found your music. Uh -oh. You want you want your music now? Well, not you. Okay. Let's try your music, okay? And then you tell me if it's too loud or not. Then he is given an iPod containing, we know, his favorite music. <laughs> Immediately, he, he lights up, his face assumes expression, his eyes open wide, he, uh, he starts to, um, to sing, and to rock, and to move his arms, and he's being animated by the music. And he used to always sit on the unit with his head like this. He didn't really talk to much people, and then when I introduced the music to him, 
this is his, his reaction every since. <laughs> Philosopher Kant once called music the quickening art, and Henry is being quickened. He's being brought to life. Yeah. I'm going to take the music for one second, okay? Just huh? to ask you a few questions. Okay? Thank you. I'm going to give it back to you. Uh-huh. Okay. The effect of this doesn't stop. Because when the, uh, the headphones are taken off, uh, Henry, normally mute and virtually unable to answer the simplest yes or no questions, is quite voluble. Henry. Yeah. Um, do you like the iPod? Do you like the music you're hearing? Yes. Tell me about your music. Well, I don't, I don't, don't, I don't have one. I mean, do you like music? Yeah, I'm crazy about music. You play beautiful music, beautiful sound, did beautiful. You? Did you play music when you were, uh, were you, did you like music when you were young? Yes, yes, I went to big dances and things. What, what was your favorite music when you were young? Well, I guess, uh, well, Cab Calloway was my number one band guy I liked. Yeah, the holy, the holy, the holy, the holy, the holy, the holy, the What was your favorite, favorite Cab Calloway song? Oh... I'll be home there Christmas. Oh, you can complain only with plenty of snow, mistletoe, present, reverend, you free ow. So, in some sense, Henry is restored to himself. He is uh, uh, remembered. Uh, who he is, and uh, he's he's reacquired his his identity for a while through the power of music. What what does music do for, do to you? Give me the feeling of love, no matter. right now the world needs to come into music, singing. You got beautiful music in, beautiful, oh lovely, and uh, I feel the band of love, the dream. Lord came to me, made me holy. I'm a holy man. So he gave me this sound. So I just say, I meet you. Let me see. Rosalie, won't you love me? Rosalie, won't you be sweet and kind? With this beautiful new technology, you can have all the music which is significant for you in something as big as a matchbox or, or whatever. And I think this, this, this may be very, very important in uh, helping to animate, organize, uh, and uh, bring a sense of identity back to people who are, who are out of it. Otherwise, music will bring them back into it, into their own personhood, their own memories, their own autobiographies. So as I said this week, I ask you to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to heal in my heart? What do you want to heal? Psalm 139, 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. If, when they come to you, write them down. Next week we're going to talk about these languages of the heart and how God can heal us, because that's where we're going here, is 
to receive and experience a healing in our heart. So let's, let's stand and let's sing. Open the eyes.